Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hey, Rush Nation, before we get to today's show, which is an absolute banger, trust me on this, I want to tell you about the Fantasy Football Playbook. Murph and I have been working really hard. Blood, sweat and tears have been pushed into our first publication. It's a book about fantasy football. Shock, this is a fantasy football podcast, but it's got strategy guides for all formats, rookie player profile reviews, Murph's PAS metric, which is exclusive to the podcast and the book. Head over to fiveyardrush.co.uk into the shop and go buy yourself the Fantasy Football Playbook. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Yo, what's happening, Rush Nation? We're back. It's Tuesday. We are, there's three of us today. Before we introduce today's absolute blockbuster guest, I would like to start by saying if you're watching on the video, no, Murph hasn't been murdered and somebody's standing in. He's had a little bit of the trim of his beard. He uh, looks a bit smarter now. He's, it's maybe a bit too short than the Murph we know and love, but hey, we'll get to that later. My mic stand literally broke as I was coming on air. So if you are watching, I'm holding my microphone like I'm on set reporting for the news. And then our guest, he had to bounce upstairs or wherever he went to go to to sit right next to the router because his internet wasn't working. So this is a three-way calamity, but it wouldn't be Five Yard Rush. It wouldn't be Tuesday if we weren't in your ear holes. We're here. Amanda, we have a guest. But first, big man, apart from the shave, how you doing? Yeah, all good. I, I don't mind the shave. Uh, I, look, I look 10 years younger, which helps. So. I, think it's, I think it's just the shock factor. I mean, it's been nearly 100 days, right? So Over. Been over 100 year, days. So uh, I normally go and get my beard cut every two weeks for the bar. But this is why I don't do it myself. Because I just <laughs> cut it far too short. <laughs> but, you know, needs must. You know, I, especially as I'm client facing. I'm on the phone with clients and there's a beard. My screen is like full beard and they're looking at me like who is this guy at least now i look somewhat exactly i'm like i'm auditioning for chewbacca in the next star wars so at least now i look a little bit smarter next time you see me some of this will go and some of this off the top Um, yeah i'll look 10 years younger that's that's what i'm aiming for 
hit 35. I was like, no, nah, I need to be more 25. Streamlining. <laughs> <laughs> How are you good, sir? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, it's so hot today. I uh, went to the beach yesterday and in looking after my son and putting a tent up, burnt myself stupid. Like my feet are on fire. My neck's not good. It is, so I had to wear a jumper and trousers at work today. It's, just, it's all gone wrong. I can't go in the sun or I'm like a vampire and I will literally just... <laughs> see you later but anyway enough about me enough about me there's three of us today so let's introduce today's guest former defensive back with three teams in six years now one of the hardest working men in sports media with the nfl show on bbc nfl this week on bbc the live international games he's pitch side he also does super bowl coverage oh yeah and he's got his own podcast with oc it's jason bell jason welcome to five yard rush man how you doing I'm doing good after hearing all of your stories, so I feel pretty good about <laughs> where I'm at in life right now. I'm just trying to be a full-time teacher to my daughter. You know, everybody's uh, adjusting, so I'm, I'm learning that I don't know a lot about schoolwork. <laughs> that is genuinely, genuinely one of my biggest fears when my boy makes it to school and we have to do homework and I'm just going to be sitting there like no man I, I, I genuinely don't know what this is like, I can't help you I just you, you, your daddy is failing you yeah well if you need any help I was pretty good at maths in school so all right. Well, there's maths done. There you go. Your maths sorted. Maths, history. Yeah. I, I got you covered. Well, Jason did history. Yeah. At, Jason did history at college. So there's my so history. I did. Jason's got that I covered. Did. I did art history major, and then I got my MBA in finance. So you think I will be able to do this stuff a six-year-old's doing? But the struggle is real. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, man. Oh man, I love it. That's awesome. And. Uh, yeah. You know, how, how have things been with, with lockdown? Because obviously it, it, it's got to be quite difficult for you because you're used to going backwards and forwards and uh, and traveling around. So, you know, how, how have you found uh, the last sort of three or four months and, and how's it changed, you know, what you've been doing? Yeah, it's been tough for everybody, obviously. And yeah, I would be, have been more mobile, been back to the States a few times to uh, catch up with things going on out there. But, you know, I think what I've done with this opportunity is try to learn new skills, things I was already going to focus on this year to get better at. I always call the off-season going in the laboratory and kind of honing in and fixing things and getting better at things. So that's what I tried to do. I had some uh, ideas on things I wanted to improve on, so I just kind of focused in on that and have been doing that. And as going through that process, realized that I have a lot of deficiencies, more deficiencies than I thought. So Thank goodness I got a lot of time to work on them. So trying to use the time wisely because, you know, hopefully we never get this amount of time to be home again. Mm. No, exactly. And I think it's such such a good thing that you do that you just bounce with it, see what happens. And like you said, learn new skills, work on yourself. I think it's such a difficult thing to accept when you know you need to, you know, it's so easy just to walk away and just go, I'm good at what I do. And, you know, you're great at what you do. But, you know, the way that you get better is to is constantly improve. We had Michael Lombardi on a few weeks ago, and we were talking about that, that the hardest thing is is not getting there. It's actually staying ahead of the game by constantly that self-critiquing, that, that way to improve. I have to do it in my job all the time. You know, I, I work in a results business in sales. And, you know, if you don't improve, if you don't adapt, you don't eat. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you don't bring home true. the bacon to your family. You don't. You don't succeed. You don't get to where you want to get to. Stocks in your job exactly the same, you know. And it's it's a really key thing. But while we're on the sort of fashion of, of education, you obviously uh, 
had a great college career at UCLA. Um, you know, you led the team in a lot of stats, passes defended. When it came to, uh, you know, that transition from playing college ball, because you were also doing track as well, weren't you? How did you find that working from being a, in a college environment, trying to get into the NFL, doing the pro days, working out for teams? You know, what was that like all the way up to getting that call from Dallas saying that, you know, come work out for us and then, and then signing the contract with them? That, that first year when you finish your college season going on to the NFL is the longest of your life. You don't have an offseason. Every year before that, you've, have, you've had an offseason. And for me, it was a, a serious uphill climb because I had gotten hurt. So I had already came back the year before. I was one of the top corners in the country. I got hurt and missed my whole senior year. Finally came back, played again, and got hurt in the bowl game. So I wasn't able to go to the all-star games. I wasn't able to go to the combines. So it was a complete battle. So for me, every day, I just understood that I had to rebuild myself after the injury and just keep fighting for that one chance, that one look, that one opportunity to show that I was healed and athletic enough to get a shot. And I just kept on that grind and that focus because I had heard from teams that they weren't even supposed to look at me because of my injury history. And luckily enough, you know, the story with Dallas is a friend of mine was the top safety, one of the top safeties in the country at the time. He had a personal workout for all the teams. So they came to California, me and him trained together. We had known each other. Uh, Hakeem, Hakeem Akbar was his name out of Washington. So I trained at his personal workout, his pro day, to help him go through the drills so he could have a little rest. That's where Dallas saw me. And I had already previously ran a 40-yard dash at my school, which was a fast time, but Dallas was able to take a look at me and see me run through the drills. And that is truly how I made it into the NFL. There were a bunch of teams that were uh, jockeying for me after the draft when I signed my free agents deal, but Dallas the coach, he was there and he really wanted me. So it's just crazy how things work out. That's amazing because you ran 100, 200 in, uh, in college. That was what you, in high school as well. Was that what you were? Yeah, yeah. High school, you know, college, it was harder to run track and focus on it because I wasn't fast enough to be, you know, an elite track star. But yeah, in high school, I could always run and, and having a track background really helped me in the NFL it helped me in college too, but really in the NFL on special teams because special teams is all about being able to cover a lot of distance and then be able to change gears and uh, redirect yourself. And if you understand how to run in the way that you learn in track and field, it really helps you on special teams. So uh, I attribute track and field to a lot of my success. Because yeah, that's how you, you got your start, wasn't it? You end up becoming a, a gunner to on on you know special team squad so that's why you get so excited when you're talking about special teams you, you know what you're talking about about how important it is to have good special teams units so I just love it when you get excited and you talk about breaking it down on on, on the shows that you're on but what just to explain for people who perhaps you know are getting into the NFL we, we pick up new listeners all the time um in terms of what exactly a gunner is what their what their role is on on special teams and how that you know, how that really gave you your, your break and, and able to establish yourself in the NFL. Okay. You know, you know, I love special teams. So you just open the door. So I'm all good with that. <laughs> That's what we I want. Got no problem with this conversation. So <laughs> when you look at the game of football and you, especially in the NFL, there's one play 
that field, project, field position switches quicker than anything, and that's special teams, right? You're talking 40, 50, 60-yard chunk plays. So that's how important special teams is. That's why teams have an emphasis on that. And on special teams, your two or three top guys are considered starters. Uh, that's how the team values them because they come and they make those kind of big plays. And as a, a gunner, it's so important because obviously we understand you punt a lot in football. If you can't make a first down, on fourth down, you punt to change field position. And what you want to do when you punt, you can't get a first down. You want to back that opposing offense's back as far as possible because statistics show you the longer they have to drive, the less chance it is for them to score. This is why punting and the gunner, which is on the outside, running down to be the first guy to tackle the ball carrier or down the ball inside, you know, the opponent's 15, five yard, 10 to five yard line is so important uh, because that really helps your defense if you back them up. So it's a very high value position. If you see on teams that win and are successful, like the Patriots, they got a guy named Matthew Slater who went to my college, UCLA, who's, who's the, one of the longest tenured players on that team and was drafted by Bill Belichick for that role. That's how important that is when you talk about championship football. So obviously, you're obviously slanted towards special teams being important. But do you think it is the underappreciated side of football? Because when we watch it on telly, you... You never see any of the special team preparation or anything because they cut to an advert and then they come back to the kickoff or, or they, they go after the kick, you know, they go straight to the advert. And there's no real analysis on the telly of the special teams play. And then also, as important as it is, there's never anyone flashy mentioned in it. So you don't get your Patrick Mahomes of special teams or, or your Patrick Peterson on the other side of the ball. It's literally the bit in between the adverts or just before the advert. And, and you know, we all know that it's important, but maybe we don't know how important it is. And that's why I have a job, because it's my job to now show you why it's important when it happens, because you're right. People skip over it. They don't break it down. And maybe it's because they're comfort level with it. But I tell you what, inside a locker room and on a team, it is very valued. It's very important. One thing head coaches do is they come in and they talk about setting the tone on special teams. When you go into a game, coaching staffs always tell you, you have three phases, right? Offense, defense, special teams. If you win two of those phases, you can win the game. So if you're down on offense, but you're winning on defense and special teams, you have a very good shot. So yes, sometimes it gets looked over as far as how they portray it on television. But when it comes to winning and losing, players in that locker room understand the importance of that position, of those positions. That's why we're respected. Uh, and also realize, that's the only time the offense and the defense is on the sideline watching you. They watch us. They celebrate how special teams players play because we're, once again, we're a blend of the offense and defense on the field at the same time. We are really the group of guys that keeps the team together because most people are in their meeting rooms separate, right? You play defensive back, you play defensive line, you're a quarterback, whatever. You're dealing with those players all day. Special teams guys are, are with each other in meeting rooms, which makes the team come together better as a whole. Yeah, I, and, and it's, it's so true that they have such a massive impact. If you look at franchises that have struggled for long times, I'm a 
you know, diehard Buccaneers fan for 20 years. I can tell you the special teams in the last 10 have been atrocious. They still are bad. We had the game in London against Carolina where, uh, you know, Bobber Wilson kept, he kept fumbling the, uh, the, you know, the punts or the kickoffs every day, fumbled three. That, so much that so was that, huge in that game. Massive. That was a huge factor. Yeah, I mean, and and then you know it was it was so bad that the announcer when he caught one and returned it for three yards, he made a crack. Um, <laughs> which you know I actually knew who was announcing that. It was it was quite funny. We were sharing the joke afterwards. Um, but you know, Cleveland Browns, same again. You know, you can't really think about how many great special teams moments they had. They've struggled with kickers. They've struggled, and you can tell those teams are investing on one side of the ball or the other, and are almost ignoring special teams. So. It's, it's a strange thing that, I don't know, from, from just this conversation, it seems obvious to me that you need to invest. That could be the quickest way to change your franchise, not from a three-win team to a 10-win team, but maybe taking those strides forwards. Because I think special teams win, can win games on their own, not just for the three phases, but those special plays, they really change momentum, and we see it time and time again. Yeah, and it's not like it's just a group of guys that aren't playing on offense and defense that are on special teams. I mean, we had starters playing on special teams. When I played a lot on, on defense, I still played special teams. I remember in New York, our starting middle linebacker, Antonio Pierce, who played every snap. When it was a big punt, they put him at the guard position on special teams because they knew the way he blocked, they couldn't penetrate and block a kick. He would always tell us, hey, fellas, I'm going to block, but I'm not running down there to make a tackle. <laughs> but he was out there, you know. I mean, think about Jim Harbaugh right in Baltimore he's a special teams coach you know Bill Belichick at one point coached special teams like I said I always say the emphasis on special teams is huge over there I mean there's a reason why they look the the Giants new head coach a special Mm -hmm. teams guy and a part of the reason for that is background is you have dealt with every different player on a football team if you're a if you're an offensive coordinator that gets a head job can you really talk to defensive guys? Have you ever really talked to defensive guys? It's hard. We act differently. But if you're a special teams guy, you've dealt with every player in that organization, and it gives you a, a learning curve on how to deal with those players. Clues in the name, right? Special teams. And I think it needs, there needs to be an argument now for three sides of the ball, not both sides of the ball. I think there needs to be almost a triangular-shaped ball when it comes to discussing teams and the three sides because... Mm. It's as important as the others. And, and you only got to look at the Patriots when Tom Brady last year wasn't, the offense wasn't anywhere near as good. They're still pretty good on both the other two sides of the ball. So, hey, look, they're still there even with the terrible offense or terrible, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And they wanted those two phases every game. Every game they had those tight games. They're saying how the defense was playing. But remember, they weren't moving the ball on offense. They were punting the ball, pinning those teams back and just playing defense. So they kept shortening the field. So finally, the offense would get the ball on the, you know, on the 50 or the 40 and make a play. Yeah. Just the more we talk about it, the the more you think, it's definitely something I'm going to go and do is is, is focus more on special teams. I always know it's important, but, you know, it's important to understand that they do make massive differences. And again, just seeing the correlation between teams that have not been good for the last 10 years, you see they don't invest. They don't get players specifically. They're not drafting special teams players. They're not, you know, hiring coaches that are are really integrating. You know, you can name several. We see it on on All or Nothing. We see it on, 
you know, hard knocks, you see special teams coaches, but they're actually the bits that are really condensed and really short. And actually they need to, as Stocks was saying, they need to be expanded out and, and, and do more. But I want to talk a little bit about your, your career quickly, because I know that you play for Dallas. Um, I remember your first year in, in Houston. It was probably the, it was 2002, wasn't it? The year of the uh, yeah. expansion, which of course was the last expansion. I was um, massively into uh, the expansion draft and the draft that year. I think it was the first year I really zoned in. I was in Orlando at the time. Um, loved David Carr as a prospect. Knew he was going to be obviously going to um, to the Texans. What was that like? Because it's it's an experience so few players have. You got the expansion draft, but then signing for a team that is brand new. It's it's you know it starts off in camp ninety odd guys that have never played together. There's no culture. There's no everyone there is brand new. What is what is that experience like? Because it must be truly unique that you have that over someone like OC or many other players who have never experienced that. Well, you said the key word and you 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 took it from me. I'm glad you sound like you know what you're talking about. You should have a podcast. Maybe I think people get yeah, bored of me. Yes, just, just, just have one. And, and the key word is culture. It's culture. Most of the teams you come to have an established culture. And the players either accept that or they change the culture, right? If they always say, if this player doesn't fit our culture or this player does. What was different is I came to Houston after doing all training camp with Dallas. I got traded right at the cut day to Houston. So I come in, I know nobody. We had scrimmage Houston. That's one of the reasons they wanted me because uh, I had practiced against them for a whole week. But I get there the first week and I know zero, nobody. And I end up playing because we played Dallas. So for me, it was, I was learning my teammates on the run, like in game. So you're right, there was no culture, but I think the respect and the culture was built off of watching each other play. I remember my agent telling me, man, it was hilarious. You started that game, nobody was talking to you. After the first special teams tackle, a couple guys came up to you. After the second, you know, more. She said, after the third and fourth play you made, everybody was high-fiving you. And it was true. I mean, these guys didn't even know my name, but we were able to see who were the leaders by how we played. Now, we were lucky. We had a guy named Aaron Glenn, who now coaches for the New Orleans Saints. And he was our, uh, one of our all-star corners and a vet. And he was just an overall great dude. So he was kind of uh, the, the, trend, the trendsetter is how, and, and how we did things and how we behaved. So we were lucky to have him. But we had guys that had come from winning Super Bowls on the, uh, uh, for Baltimore. So they had that kind of Super Bowl flair and they acted different. So you just saw a bunch of guys that were from all different teams that kind of brought that culture in. And I'd say by the time I left, uh, it kind of shaped into what it has become. But through those four years I was there, it was uh, that was one of the significant issues was trying to establish what that was. I give our coach Dom Capers and our, our GM Charlie Cassidy a lot of credit because th- those guys knew how to start an expansion team. And they had the respect of the players. And it was, it was, it was, it was a good time. It was hard. David Carr coming in, a young guy. It's, it's hard to be a quarterback without culture. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it, that, that's a tough uh, job. And, and he'd probably be the first one to say that. Um, but, 
yeah, it was, it was, when I look back at it, we were struggling to find our identity, but it was a good group of guys to do that with. Yeah, because, you know, I was looking for it the other day and was looking at some of the players that went across. Jacksonville, a lot of Jacksonville guys came over, I seem to remember. They were desperate to cut players for cap reasons, and, and obviously getting those comp picks was, was essential for them because they were a team that weren't going anywhere at the time. Um, I know they were desperate to, to sort of regroup and rebuild. But it's it's just fascinating to because again it's such a unique experience. There's only you know U90 guys, those that uh, join the expansion teams for Jacksonville and Carolina, and that's it all the way from you know the late 70s to to now is is just you know those 200 odd players who have that unique experience of joining an expansion team and and going through that. So it must be. Uh, a truly special thing to, I mean, it must bring many good memories despite how difficult it was, but what about some locker room stories? I'd be guilty uh, if I didn't ask you um, <laughs> about some great locker room stories that you can share. Um, I would sort of <laughs> remind that this is a family friendly podcast. Um, yeah. But, yeah. But yeah, yeah some you, I could definitely not share, but I will, <laughs> not, I will not go to hilarious ones. Let me think. I, I can only, I'll only share the ones, <clears throat> that I was in and the main mm. focus, right? Because everything else I just don't do. It's, but I've seen some funny stuff, hilarious. <laughs> and a lot of it was in Dallas, even though it was one year. It was just fascinating, right? I mean, you had guys that had won three Super Bowls on that team. So it was just, you had all sorts. I mean, I played with Emmitt Smith, the greatest running back of all time. Darren Woodson, you know, I remember Michael Irvin, who's a friend popping in the locker room, but I'll I'll say this, my rookie year, you're supposed to get food for everybody listening, the rookies, no matter who you are, you pick up food for your position group. So there was this place that made these breakfast sandwiches that Troy Aikman actually found that the guys in Dallas love. So I would pick up these sandwiches and I think on a Friday or Saturday walkthrough, actually, before we'd either get on the plane to fly where we needed to fly or home game, we could stay. So I brought these breakfast sandwiches every Saturday morning, put them in front of people's lockers. Everybody was happy. It was a long drive. It was tough to do. You know, you had to be on your A game, make it back, be at practice on time. One Friday night, I think I went out for dinner, stayed out a little too late and woke up late. So I wake up and I have a dilemma. The dilemma is get the sandwiches or be on time. No sandwiches. Show up to practice. Fellas are ready for their sandwiches. Darren Woodson comes up to me and he goes, where's the sandwich? The two safeties at the time were Darren Woodson and George T. They were super vets. I mean, they just, they'd been in the game a long time. So I didn't bring the sandwiches. And they had a lot of respect for me because this is kind of mid-season, and I had uh, got special teams player of the week for like six games in a row. So I had, you know, they were, they were respecting me. And Darren Woodson looks at me, and, and George Teague look at me, and they just, they just didn't say anything. And I'm thinking, wow, they took that pretty well. You know, like I thought, <laughs> I didn't know what was going to happen. They were disappointed. Next thing you know, I come out of meeting rooms, and we're on the sideline doing the walkthrough. Nobody's talking to me. I'm like, this is, this is strange. Like, I'm, I'm, I would say things I'd mention. We all kind of hang out with each other. Nobody talked to me. All Saturday, nobody talks to me. I'm thinking, this is really weird. Now we get ready. We go in the game. The game stands alone. It's its thing. 
But Monday, nobody talks to me. Tuesday, <laughs> nobody talks to me. That's our off day. Wednesday, back to practice. Now, now, Wednesday's like we start again. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what is going on? Woody comes over, Woodson, he's like, if you ever miss sandwiches again, these guys won't talk to you for the rest of the season. And I was like, he basically said, nobody talks to JJ. Like, people would come up and I would say something, they'd be like, mm -mm, you know, like, I'm like, what are they doing? What is going, what have I done to these people? And, you know, I like to talk and you have a good time with your friends. Silent treatment. Like, I couldn't believe it. Like, it was, it was the most, he had everybody on board. And that's the kind of stuff that happened, you know. If you did something that you weren't supposed to do, there was a penalty. And mine was, J-Bell likes to talk to us. We're going to stop that. We're going <laughs> to hurt him where it counts. We're going to shut him up. And that's what happened. I mean, nobody – could you imagine going to work and, like, you have work buddies and they're, like, looking at you like, mm, you know, I can't talk to you. You'd be like, what is going on? That happened from Saturday until the next Wednesday. That's so, ridiculous. And, and you know, they, now in the game, it didn't count because we got to play, right? You got to communicate. Mm. But after that game, no conversation. I was like, I never miss a sandwich again. Ever <laughs> miss a sandwich again. <laughs> Ever. Never. No <laughs> chance. It worked. It worked. And I, you know, I, I Darren Woodson is a person who I've uh, looked at as a mentor as far as just copying what he does. Like, just watch it. He's gonna show you how to be as a man. And so it really hurt me that he was so hurt that he would not talk to me and no one else could. So, you know, didn't make that mistake again. So yeah, that, that, that was a good one. That was a good one. That's amazing. I, I was gonna ask if you missed sandwiches again and I figured, nah, he'd probably say you <laughs> Never, no <laughs> chance. <laughs> Talk to Jay Bell in the media. How did you start in the media? You know, what was your break when you, when you finished playing and got into the media? Uh, it was a complete accident. I was out here, uh, you know, out here with the family. Uh, my mother's daughter works here, obviously. Um, my daughter's mother, sorry. And we're out here, and somebody saw us at a pet store. And they were starting the NFL show. And no one knew I was out here. And O.C. had just retired. So he was on his way out here. He had just got here. And they just said, hey, I think this Jason guy that plays in town, let's put him together. Not knowing me and O.C. were so close as friends. I didn't know he had just retired. You know, I thought he was going to play the next year. But he had announced his retirement. And that's literally how I fell into this. I had no, at no point did I want to go in the media. I, uh, you know, I was working in finance, dealing with athletes. So still around the sport you know, spending a lot of time around the game just because the pe people I was working with, but never thought about the media at all. That's what was so enticing about it is that the challenge of it was what was kind of drew me in because I was like, I have no clue what I'm doing and I really gonna, I'm really going to have to work hard at this. So, and I'm nervous, so do it. And that was really how it went down. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that you can just, just, literally turn up and then you're in a store living your life and then all of a sudden someone just comes by and says hey yeah do you want a job <laughs> and the, yeah and yeah the, they, i mean how many years ago was that now what well, that must have oh, been what God. seven eight years 
five, six years ago, seven, yeah, six years ago or so. You know, it's 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 one of those things I think I learned from that situation where, you know, you never know where you're gonna be. So don't spend a lot of time worrying about the future and things you can't control because something can change it in an instant and your direction as a whole and it be and it be okay so don't spend that time wasting worrying about that you know spend it you know trying to get better at whatever you're into because that might be the next thing you're doing yeah absolutely and in terms of then looking back over those last few years what is the thing that you're most proud of if, if you literally was the one thing you say this is the, the first thing that you'll tell your kids your grandkids that, that you've done in this job I would say I'm most proud of, first of all, if it's just on the show, it's really, I'm really proud of Osi like winning so many awards because he's so humble. Like he's, he's, he's such a team player when it comes to what we're doing. And he, Mark and I really truly get along and have a great time. And I'm really proud of how we have together just stayed tight and gotten tighter in, I would say, from my experience and seeing other things in the media world where that's not true. You know, we, we respect each other, we enjoy each other, and we are all about having a good time and making a good product. And I'm just, I'm really proud to be a part of that because that's what I've, I've always done in sports, being a team guy. So I'm just, I'm really proud of being involved with that. Our producers, you know, the NFL, the NFL Academy, I'm really proud of what mm-hmm. they, what, what's happening. Uh, that, you know, I've, I've become an ambassador, but a lot of people have worked hard for that. That's going to be the thing where I look at my daughter and say, this has changed people's lives. Like that, the, the Academy and what that's going to do. I mean, forget about playing in the NFL. These are just going to make better humans and citizens and, and, and family uh, men and women so that 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 that's the thing that's the thing i'm gonna put the star next to I, I like that i listened to a podcast today and i think it was the new head coach of michigan state he was in the nfl before he was a college coach and then he moved over to the college side and his reason for going back to the college was you know i've, I've been in the nfl and I've, I've done it all on that side but i want to go back to the kids and i want to make sure that they learn the proper way to get into the game and learn to study and learn there is another life apart from the football when he said I could have been in the NFL my whole career but I wanted to go and give back to the youth of the game so I was I suck his name escapes me because college isn't my my forte as much it's as hard it's the other Harbaugh <laughs> is it the other Harbaugh is it no, he's, is a, it? he's a Michigan oh oh, oh sorry I thought you said no, no that's all right um yeah, I, I can't remember his name. But yeah, Michigan State. Yeah. And I thought that's really refreshing to hear because whenever you hear Oh, the Michigan State head coach. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. I know he used to be a defensive coordinator. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's him. That's him. So we, we always ask one question to our guest, Jason, and that's if you could give one bit of advice to anybody getting into the passion that they're, they're talking about, writing about, whether it be media, journalism, playing football. Uh, I always say model trains, so I've just said it again. Uh, yachting, whatever it is, what one bit of advice would you give them as to how to get into that field? Do the things you're uncomfortable doing. You know, I think whatever we want to do, what keeps us from getting there and keeps us from taking the steps necessary is fear and fear of failure. And, and not it's not even necessarily the hard work. It's just the fear of failure. 
I think you can do the opportunities will come and you have to just take them. So whatever you're wanting to do, you can put yourself in a position to do that. But then all of a sudden you don't take that step because you feel like you're not ready or prepared or you're scared or nervous or whatever excuse you make for yourself. Cause I've made them all for myself. And whenever I feel that I know I need to do something and that usually perpetuates itself into an, an opportunity a breakthrough that I wouldn't have if I wouldn't have put myself in that uncomfortable situation. That's amazing advice. And I, you know, we've not had that. We've asked this to a lot of guests and no one has said that. And it's so true because if you don't do the things that are uncomfortable, you'll never push yourself to succeed. You'll always just end up being comfortable. Everything's nice. Everything's happy. Um, You hit some adversity and then you just don't know what to do. And you just, you, you crumble and that dents your confidence and it's incredibly difficult to get back. Whereas if you are prepared for that by challenging yourself, pushing yourself, failing, you know, I work for a, a tech startup and one of our company missions is, is to fail, but to fail faster. Because as soon as you fail, you'll learn and then you'll improve. And when that comes to what I do in sales that comes to the technology that we build that comes to absolutely everything. It's good to fail, just fail quickly, go head first into it, work it out. You learn as you go. If you fail, that's fine. You'll take something away from it. The next time you do it, you'll be better or you end up getting to where you want to get to. So I uh, love that piece of advice. I think as well, sorry, Murph, to jump in on that. It's like us when we Murph and I have just uh, finished writing a book on fantasy football for the 2020 season. And we had a target that we, we wanted to sell a certain amount of books and, you know, thankfully to our listeners and people who have seen it on Amazon and stuff, we've, we've smashed past the target, but we were prepared to fail. And one of the things I do in my life specifically is the saying that I go for is there's no losers. You either win or you learn. And as long as you learn from the loss, then you're moving forward. So you know, it, it doesn't matter if you lose as long as you learn. And fortunately we haven't lost with the book, but we've learned a hell of a lot putting it out there as well. So we've done both from that one situation. Yeah, I, I think the best players and some of the best people in every industry, in all different industries, have this uncanny ability to be present in the moment and move on from the from the last, which is turn, your, you know, failure, you move on, you keep going like you don't let that take you into the next phase of your life. You learn from it, you adjust, you don't repeat mistakes, but you don't carry the baggage. And if there's anything I try to improve on every day and I'm still working on is that a lot of what I do in media and where I can feel myself correct is things I've learned on the field. I know who I am. I know how I think because I was challenged day in and day out as a player. So when I have those emotions in other walks of my life, I know how to adjust because I know how I think. And it's always overcoming those fears. Love that. Definitely. We've got about two or three minutes left. So I just want to ask, because we are a fantasy football podcast, it would be yeah. a shame not to ask someone who has played the game about fantasy football. Do players, and appreciate, you know, you stopped playing a while ago, but do players in the locker room, are they aware? Do they play themselves? Are they team leagues? Like, what is the scenario of players when it comes to, to fantasy football? Because I've always been curious and, and never had a straight answer on this one. So lucky enough, when I played, we didn't have it. So I, we didn't have that distraction. It was just start. It wasn't as big as it is now. Mm. But I do know now players are so aware of what's happening. 
because everybody has social media. So all their fans are like attacking them about fantasy, you know, uh, no matter what kind of game they have, if something happens, they will hear it in social media on what they did or didn't do. So yes, they're aware of it. Do they play? I don't think a lot of guys have time to play, you know, especially during season. Now when they retire, yes, guys get into it, but they are so aware of that. You've seen people put out statements where they've won a game, but they've let their fantasy people down. Like, you know, I mean, that's crazy, right? But it's it's how it is. So yeah, they're very aware and, and it's cool. It's great for the game. It, it it what I love about fantasy is it helps people really understand the importance of what players do and the matchups. The key is the matchups. Mm. Football is all about matchups and fantasy really focuses in on that. And that's what I love about it. You know, you got a receiver and he's you know, he's he's this kind of guy and I'll say, Who is he playing against? What what kind of defense is that? You know, how do they play? You know, what kind of corner do they have? All those things matter. And that's what's really cool about fantasy. It's put a spotlight on those individual matchups and how you exploit them or crush them. Oh, wait, look, he's playing against Stefan Gilmon. Yeah, no, having none of him this week. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that sort of made it sound like you play, Jason. Do you, do you dabble in fantasy football then? I do not, only because I don't have time, but I'm very aware of it. Like, I don't have time to manage a team. But, I mean, when it comes to receivers and DBs matchups, I'm in it all day. Now, you say something about Stephon Gilmore. Say you got a top receiver playing against the Patriots, right? And you think, oh, Stephon Gilmore's going to lock this guy down. But in reality, Stephon Gilmore might play the number two receiver, mm-hmm. and they play zone over the top of the guy. So you might switch and think, I'm going to go with the second receiver. He's going to have a bigger game. And he ends up getting shut down by Stephon Gilmore. These are the things you got to know. Got to know what kind of defense they're playing. Jason, I'm going to be tapping you up for some of this information because in season I write a lockdown corner article where every week I suggest wide receivers not to play. So I know where I'm coming for some inside Ooh, information. I like this. We can have a conversation, man. You yeah, know man. my, you know how to find me. Yeah, <laughs> don't you Absolutely. worry. I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> so one final question then. Um, we want to know what is one very spicy football hot take you can give us about the 2020 season? could be about anything just something that is against the grain contrarian whatever you like just something that is just gonna make everyone go Ooh. uh you know i'm not i don't i don't think this is gonna be spicy hot take just because i'm not the way i look at football is i'm like in the beginning of my process of how i really break down the season like i don't start to get heavy until right about now and doing my deep dive but I will say this, and this is what I'm watching, and I believe it. I think Kyler Murray is going to light it up. I think this kid, what Arizona's done, I'm just ready for this. I think he, we already knew what he can do, but he got better as the year went on. I mean, he he truly, when you watch him, the team wasn't doing well, but he got so much better. And they have designed and got the pieces in place place for him to just throw the ball all over the yard I think he's going to break out and that you know that NFC West is just loaded already with Russell Wilson down there and I just think he's going to be toe for toe pretty soon I think I expect huge things out of him this year yeah I mean you you give the guy Nuke Hopkins and improving the draft and yeah like you say he was better at the end of the last season so uh, yeah I don't yeah. It's, not, 
it's a good take. I mean, I wouldn't say it was the spiciest one we've had, but it's definitely up there on the uh, Scoville scale. It's not spicy. Way. Kyle Van Noy, that went to Miami, right? Mm-hmm. He's he is gonna ball out too. Love it. He's gonna ball out because he's he can do a lot, and he's very versatile. And and obviously his the head coach coached him as a defensive coordinator. He he's gonna make a lot of plays. He already does, but I expect him to get a lot of sacks more than people have seen him do before. He's gonna be hot. He's gonna he's gonna ball out. That's my hot take. He's going he's gonna to be up there with some serious stats, I think. So uh, Jason Bell does not play fantasy football, but he does give severe IDP advice if you're looking for a sleeper pick for your IDP players. So go get yourself some Van Noy. Jason, this has been an absolute blast, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Why don't you let Rush Nation know where they can find you on social media and if they don't know where your podcast is, where they can find that. Oh, you got to check that out. The Jason and OC podcast. I don't know. We, 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 we just made the name up one day. So that's why it's not that creative. <laughs> and that's on all of your social media platforms. Then uh, on social media is Jason Bell 33, Twitter, Instagram. Follow me, man. You know, they always want me to get more followers. So hook me up, man. Follow your boy. We got you. We got you. Definitely. Uh, and I think uh, I think a lot of Rush Nation probably do. But, you know, we've got a lot of American audience that maybe are not. So we'll, we'll try and boost the following from that side of the pond as well. Let's make it happen, fellas. And Jason, if you're you're ever at a loose end and you want to come back on the pod, you are more than welcome. But uh, we appreciate you coming on. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Murph, this has been a blast. And Rush Nation, I'm going to leave you with a quote that I heard today from Bears quarterback coach John DiFilippo. And he said, we're walking around with a bit of a swagger right now because we know we've got the best quarterback room in the NFL. I'm going to leave you with that one. As always, Rush Nation, stay safe and don't forget, keep rushing. HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.